My guest today is a burlesque and drag performer who has been a known name within the New York City and Brooklyn nightlife scenes longer than most. If you're a participant in queer nightlife, you've likely visited somewhere they've performed at with appearances at places like Stonewall Inn, House of Yes, Club Coming, and much, much more. I'm happy to have with me today the one and only Crimson Kitty. Hello. Meow. <laughs> to start things off, I noticed that you recently participated in the Nintendo World Championship. Yes, I did not win a ticket or two tickets to Japan. I'm still angry about that. But I got a Mario hat. Okay. And I'm actually making a Mario act just because I got that large hat. So I'm excited. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Like I did not know that that even happened until I saw your post about it. I come from a family of nerds, mm -hmm. and my sister is no exception to the rule. I grew up going to Star Trek conventions when I was a kid. So for me, anything nerdy is, is where it's at. I've always been a Nintendo gamer. I My first system was a Super Nintendo. Okay. Because my parents, they said I was not old enough to get the actual Nintendo system. Uh -huh. So I had to go over to my aunt's place and play it like illegally, like it was contraband. So I've been a Mario player for a very long time, and my sister is on it. She used to work for the Nintendo store that's in New York. Oh. Okay. So she still has friends that are working there, and they give her the latest scoop on all the events and that's actually how I found out about it and there was a specific time it started 11 to register and she's like you do it do it right now you know I'm like okay fine I mean this is all through instant messenger but I still got the vibes yeah and it was really cool I didn't know what it was gonna be and like I'm in like the live stream I'm in all these things in Japan like I didn't know what it was gonna be but like it was so much fun fun and it made me feel like a kid and I got to meet Mario and Luigi and and even though my sister was like well I've met them already well I don't care like <laughs> this is my first experience let me have my experience what did it consist of so we were given the Mario hat and then you got these giant gloves right and in the glove it was kind of shaped like a fist and in the middle of it was a iPhone and so you had these series of yellow boxes, you know, the mystery boxes mm -hmm. with the question mark on it. And you'd have to jump and hit it. And you didn't have to hit it hard because it was, you know, I'm 5'4", allegedly. <laughs> and it they're about 6'2", you know, so I had to really jump to get it. My sister, who's like just barely 5'1", was not having it. <laughs> but all the tall people had an advantage. But it didn't matter. So after the round, it would generate, and based on the icon you would get is what you would win. So someone in our group did win the tickets to Japan. It was all a promotion for the Nintendo World that's opening up in Universal Studios Japan. Yeah, They're opening up in Japan first, mm -hmm. then California. They always get it first. And then we're the last ones on the East Coast to always get stuff. And I'm like, I really want Oh, there's a Yoshi ride for kids, but they're still for me. So, yeah, you just had to, like, go and hit them, and then it just would generate. So I won some glasses with a mustache, so I'm feeling a drag king fantasy, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really. I only did drag king, like, once, and that was it. That was enough. <laughs> you're also, at least if your drag is indicative of anything, seem to be into anime. Was yes. that also something that you got into, like, as a kid, or did that happen later? Actually, it's a mixture of both. I am a giant weeb, and I will never, never deny that. 
I was super into anime growing up and into my college years. And all I did was go to Chinatown because at that that point, the DVDs, you could get them. But a lot of them had, you know, like the release dates weren't coming in. There was licensing issues. Mm -hmm. I mean... Don't even get me started in Gemini Hologram, which was my favorite fandom. And it took how many years because Sony basically had the rights and was like, sorry, we're not going to give it up. So a lot of that happened. So I had to go to Chinatown. And that's how we discovered Sailor Moon. That's how I discovered Pokemon went before it became big. Mm-hmm. Naruto, which is one of my favorite gay ninja love soap operas <laughs> in the world. And yes, you can put me on that. That's exactly how I feel about it. I had to go to Chinatown. It was a little strip mall on Mott Street. And you'd go down and there was just that one store or two stores that had everything. And that's how you got your content. I graduated college. I was like, I need to be a real adult now. I need to do adulting things. So I gave it up for a long time. And I would be secretly into it, but I wouldn't tell anybody. Mm. And then I would say about five years ago, I got my first booking in the Sailor Moon Shoju Spectacular, <laughs> which happens every end of the year in Oberon in Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm. And my first number was Chibi Moon. It's always been my signature number since. And then every year I made a new one and a new one. I have currently five Sailor Moon cosplay acts. I don't know who else has that many. <laughs> and I think getting back into that one show exploded it was the pandora's box she exploded she opened up she was going places and i was like i need more i need more content (laughs) and now i would say a good 80 percent of my work is cosplay based when did burlesque come around because i know that kind of what you were doing before you got into drag yeah so it started out because i was doing fetish modeling for like art photographers and i do all sorts of looks and i get them shot it wasn't Club Kid exactly, but it was definitely down like the fetish latex vinyl mm-hmm. route, which I've always loved. I just, I love a good piece of vinyl and oh, it's just so sexy to me. And I started doing that and I was getting bored because I was like, all I'm doing is standing and posing. This is boring. You know, I would just, I wanted more from it. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would kind of start thinking about how I can turn this look into something that's like stage ready and at the time MySpace yes I'm dating myself My, <laughs> if I haven't already just letting you know <laughs> I just said MySpace you know had an ad from this school of like burlesque it wasn't the one that Joe Boobs Walton uh, teaches it was something else and it was a four week intensive and then the final graduation class you got to perform i was like oh this is perfect you're just gonna kind of lead me where i'm gonna go already and i'm just gonna have a nice set of like of hands you know to just guide me so i was into it so i did it and my original name was agent n and everyone called me h&m like the retailer it's like no (laughs) that's incorrect so i would do a lot of james bond secret spy type of stuff when i first started And then my second number was Tank Girl, actually. So Mm. I was doing the cosplay very early on in my career before the term nerdlesque was coined. I was doing it. And I liked doing this stuff. And I was kind of experimenting with drag. But the moment I started lip syncing at that time, people thought that that was amateur and they didn't want to book that. Mm -hmm. There's even shows to this day that if you lip sync and do drag, that's not what they want. Mm -hmm. They just want straight up burlesque. And I started to get frustrated with the process. And I was like, but I really want to go into this world, even though there was no openings. And it wasn't like I was the only person doing it. I wasn't. I was just kind of, when I started doing that drag, I was kind of the only AFAB person in a gay club doing it. Mm -hmm. Because everybody else did it in high art 
highbrow places (laughs) were not booking me at the time. So, you know, I didn't have that route to go. But I was very much alone in the process. I did not have anybody guiding me. And it was that frustration of burlesque is not letting me be the artist that I want to be. Mm -hmm. You, I'm doing what I want. Mm -hmm. And I am very rebellious in that nature. I don't like being told what I can or cannot do Mm -hmm. because I will just be spiteful and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. I've always been like this and it's never ending too. Like it's just gotten a little bit chill because I'm a little bit older and I'm like, okay, let's be logical. But at that time it was frustration. And then I was like, screw it. I'm going to do this drag competition. And it was the first season of So You Think You Can Do Drag Mm -hmm. hosted by Paige Turner. And it was run by someone different at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hi got a badge can I do this (laughs) literally and they're like yeah come on over so I at that point I was doing a lot of singing and I was doing a lot of Lady Gaga impersonation because a lot of people told me I look like her and I just went into the Lady Gaga phase this is like the Crimson Kitty years the Lady Gaga phase Mm -hmm. and I would perform all these songs to the point where people are like okay you might want to do something different than Lady Gaga (laughs) which I'm grateful that they told me because that helped me kind of okay this phase is done. Let's do something new. And that's how I got started. And the first time I did this, the people that were competing were Honey Davenport, Yuha mm-hmm. Hamasaki, Fifi Dubois, Prodigy Major. I mean, there's all these people that have like either been on Drag Race or going to be on Drag Race have made names for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of within that pre-Drag Race generation mm-hmm. growing up. And I remember distinctly, and I've mentioned this in a few articles because this was a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like judging and everyone was cute. The people from La Caja Fall were there and they, you know, they're all the gays and they're like, ah, it's honey, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. they were all about me because they could understand it came from a theater background, mm-hmm. which I do. They got it. And the only person that gave me a problem was the drag queen judge. And they're like, that's fine, but this is a drag competition. I was like, mm. and I grabbed the mic out of Paige Turner's hand. Here, note to performers, don't grab mics out of people's hands. <laughs> but I'm just an asshole like that. I grabbed it out of the hand and I was like, I could do Jack. Girls could do Jack too. Like, so defiant. How dare you tell me what I can and cannot do? Mm-hmm. That that kind of element, that kind of feeling is what drove me into drag is mm-hmm. the fact that people told me I could not do it. Yeah. And there was I didn't really have mentors at that time. So afterwards, a little after that time, I met my drag mother, Rebecca Glasscock. And at that point, she was taking kind of a little bit of hiatus from performing Mm -hmm. and I was doing Stonewall sensation because I do sing every now and then once again doing Lady Gaga at that point and she was sold she was hooked she's like you have a lot of talent and I understand you're not going to get these opportunities because you're a female right we weren't using AFAB terms around that time so a lot of the terms I was using back then is because the only things I knew Mm -hmm. before like I smartened up and wisened up to like evolution and people growing up so that kind of happened and i would start doing her stonewall invasion shows we were the ones that would do the holiday weekends halloween christmas we did them all because we could pull an audience and we made new acts and i really was instilled you know you're having a walkthrough outfit that's not going to be your first performance outfit. And yes, you will change. I don't care how stressful it is. And yes, you're going to do these in the mountain numbers. And yes, they're all going to be mixes. And you're going to freaking kill it every single time. And sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. As I got more into it, I would start pretty much stage managing. And that's kind of really what informed my kind of place in the world. 
but I wasn't getting booked outside of that little circle. Nobody wanted to have me. The only time I was able to perform is when I would go with Rebecca to a show and I'd be like her guest and I'd only perform for tips. Mm -hmm. It's the only place. So I was getting frustrated. But at that point, I was also with the group Switch and Play. Mm -hmm. And I was one of... uh, not the oldest members, but I was one of like after the, it's the second or third generation that came in because mm-hmm. they were the only other people other than this world that would have me on stage. Mm-hmm. And I always thanked them for it. So I would go to their shows. And from that, we were in contact with someone from the Huffington Post who was doing a profile on Brooklyn drag artists. I just moved to Brooklyn at that time. I was like, I can't stand Jersey. I'm done with Jersey. My God, mm-hmm. I'm never going to tell people from Jersey again. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a lie. And I started like talking to this this reporter and they did this feature on me mm-hmm. and James Nichols. I love him. And all of a sudden, people took me seriously. It took an actual article about me to for people to take what I did as an art form mm-hmm. serious. It, it was that. It was an overnight thing. And all of a sudden, people are like, I want to book you. I want to talk to you. I want this and this. And I all of a sudden became this representative of AFAB drag. And let me tell you, I didn't know nothing. Like, I was just going from gig to gig, creating acts. I didn't want to be, like, the brand ambassador yeah. <laughs> for this platform. And that's kind of what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. And then it exploded in my face. But we can talk about that <laughs> Yeah. I, one of the things I was going to ask you is that, like, around that time, a lot of reporting and articles that were done involving you or mentioning you or talking to you were putting you in this label of like, oh, it's a woman doing drag and a yeah. cis male world, et cetera. Like, did that feel like pigeonholy to you? It did. But at the same time, I was like, I'm just happy to get this press because mm-hmm. the more press that I'm getting, the more opportunities I'm able to travel and perform. So I, I kind of made a deal with the devil in a way. And I'll admit it. And also a lot of things that I said was was pure BS. I am a talker like maybe in another life I was a barker at a carnival you know what I mean because I know how to talk and sell myself Mm -hmm. and I was very good with that but I always felt like well you know that's great that like I'm doing this but like can we talk about the actual performances because I feel like that's where my strengths are so yeah they were problematic like I'm in the process of redoing my website and I'm gonna have those articles on there because they still exist and I'm gonna put a disclaimer on it because I feel like that's necessary now. However, nobody knew anything. Even though there were AFAB performers who existed in the world, world famous Bob, Sequinette, Raven Snook. I mean, the list goes on and on. There were so many legendaries that have come out of New York. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the only one, but I was the only one in the gay clubs at that time. And that's kind of where I spoke to my experience about. And that was kind of not used against me, but it made people feel a certain way of... You know, maybe I'm only out for myself and only saying that I'm the only one that exists like nobody else exists. And that really wasn't where I was coming from. I was coming from that place of I'm lonely. I want other people to do this with me. Um, I don't know what I'm doing, but hey, we're bringing it. And that's really the energy where I came from. And then all of a sudden I became this 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 name and I'm like I don't know how to do with this and all these people would come to me and they're like I want you to mentor me I want you to be my drag mother and I'm like I'm uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) you know I rejected the mother notion at first I was like no I'm only out for myself And then I kind of warmed into it a little bit Mm -hmm. and then I got a little too maternal with people and I then realized I had to scale myself back because I was like 
you know, I might seem like I'm helping you and you might seem friendly, but I feel like at the end of the day, your intentions aren't matching like the energy I'm giving you and mm-hmm. you're just using me. How do you feel the scene has changed from when you first started to now? If oh. it's changed at all? Oh, it's changed big time. I mean, let's face it. Even though people like to say there's not a difference between Brooklyn and Manhattan drag, I beg to differ. I feel like everybody can exist within every other kind of community. But when you're only booking cis male queens on a regular basis, you're not breaking the mold. Mm -hmm. This is 2020. You know, have a drag king on a stage. You know, I'm not even just advocating for me to get booked. I don't care. You know what I mean? Especially when you have tips only. Like, I really don't care. But... I'm looking at who you're booking. If it's just a flyer, a poster with all white male cis queens, I'm not interested. But also the same could be said about burlesque. If I I go and see a burlesque flyer and it's only all skinny white, you know, cis females, I'm not interested in that show either. Mm -hmm. So it's not just drag. It's just in general, I want to see diversity in shows. I feel like Brooklyn has done such a good job with that Mm. in terms of where Manhattan, I feel, can pick up the pace a little bit. How do you feel you've changed uh, since you first started in terms of your art? Oh, I've definitely gotten better. (laughs) One thing I will say is my sewing abilities got cute. Like, mm-hmm. I can actually build a garment professionally from start to finish. I can make my own patterns now. I make everything. The only thing I don't really make too much of is wigs, like Marcel, or like the pinup styles. Mm-hmm. I love them, but I'm not, I'm not doing stuff with a, a comb for an hour. Like, that's not going to happen. Do you have a piece that you are proudest of? I really love my ganja. Oh, so I created it for a 420s show that like literally never happened. <laughs> and I was like, I just really want a gorgeous weed look. I just want a weed cut out in the chest of my weed look. <laughs> I mean, I, it's been done before. This is nothing that's that's, you know, innovative. But I just wanted a ganja showgirl fantasy and I created it and it was really one of the first times I created a harness that was a built-in thong and and I created so much and I still have fabric I'm gonna make a little like skater skirt out of it it's gonna be a whole like crimson kitty 420 collection mm-hmm. because I keep on making stuff I've made background like dancers I made harnesses for them little booty shorts and like they've gotten trade from it and I'm like thank you you're welcome uh, <laughs> I love that look. Uh, I really do like a lot of my cosplays. I do love a lot of my Sailor Moon acts. They're not the most comfortable to wear because I've made them true to size with like giant bows. That's not comfortable. But I think out of everything last year, yeah, my ganja definitely. And then I already have new things that I'm working on this year. It always happens around this time. I'll create my acts and then I'll get them polished so they're ready to go on on tour or festivals. Mm -hmm. And then the beginning of the year, I'll work on the next routines for the next year, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm at the perfect time right now where I'm starting to work on my stuff. So that's my favorite for now. Mm. But, you know, six months from now, it's going to change. Why Crimson Kitty? Is there some sort of significance to it? Yes, there is. So people think it's a reference or euphemism um, for that time of month. Mm. 
I will not correct them because I actually think it's funny that I didn't even think about that at first. I just think that's hysterical. Crimson comes from my cat, my childhood cat. So I actually literally named myself after a cat. Uh, And I've had two Crimsons in my life. I've had Crimson when I was growing up in New Jersey, and he was such a fluff. Oh, and he loved me, and I loved him. And then when I moved out and got my own place, I wanted more cats, and I really wanted another orange cat. And I got this female orange tabby with the most sassy, oh, God, she's the spawn of Satan. She was the biggest bitch. I know I'm not (laughs) supposed to curse, but there's no other way to describe it she was the worst (laughs) she was the most horrible cat but because she really she experienced a lot of trauma before i got her Mm. so a lot of that trauma was like trust issues and Mm. it took years and we became so close like we could speak the same language in a way Mm -hmm. so when she passed about two years ago i had a show that night it was my first solo show at rock bar and she died all prim and proper, all posed because she's a diva bitch like me. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God. Like I was in, I was in trauma. I was, I was yeah. paralyzed. I was, I couldn't even move. And I was like, I got to do this show because I know that if I don't like, it's no good. I'm one of those people. If I'm distraught, go to work. Mm-hmm. Don't think about it. Focus it elsewhere. And that's what I did. And I, all, I did all like sad songs and songs about cats. Yeah. <laughs> And I finished it off with memory and I only knew like 70% of the words, but we did it and we gave them a show. My friend's like, why is everything so sad tonight? I'm like, my cat died. <laughs> it was very dramatic and I, I was only allowed two drinks. Like my friends are like, you're not going to go on a bender tonight. You're going to just have like a drink and a shot and you're going to be cute. I'm like, okay. But yeah, and then also um, my hair used to be red and the company called Adore made a bottle called Crimson. So it was the name of my hair color and my cat what would you say is the worst you've ever bombed in a, a performance and what did you learn from the experience oh my god i will never forget this first of all as a performer when you bomb or you have a sh- horrible no good performance experience you will never forget it and i remember i actually lost friendships over this i was doing this show and i was working with some people that were also into witchcraft as i also am practicing uh pagan and we did this, I think it was a charity show. I know I wasn't getting paid, so I remember that. <laughs> I'm horrible. Um, so I, I went and did the show, and I don't know, I wasn't in the best headspace. I think this was when I was closer to not doing burlesque because there was a place where I didn't feel comfortable taking my clothes off on stage, and I just I, I wasn't there with my body. Mm-hmm. Like, we were, we were not in sync. And it was during that time, so I know that I was a little bit more in a vulnerable state, and I had experience where I was told that there was going to be a dressing room and it was in a basement with all these people from the kitchen going in and out. And I was like, I'm not getting dressed with all these men coming in and out. And I remember it just made me feel so vulnerable. And I remember that I did, that was probably the worst times I performed. I just wanted to get through it. It was one of those things I was like, just get through this, just get through this. And I left and I remember somebody tried to talk to me and I just brushed past them. And I didn't mean to like, push into them I was just trying to get out because I felt so uncomfortable and I felt so terrible I just wanted to get away from it yeah and I ended up losing friends because I got blamed for it Mm -hmm. for my feelings feeling vulnerable and uncomfortable it turned around that I was being problematic and I'm like okay so I lost friends but I also gained an insight that 
don't put yourself in those situations. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't like to victim blame, you know, but I always like to tell myself, you know what? You are worth it. Your art is worth it. You have value. Don't put yourself into places that undervalue you. On the other side of the spectrum, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment at this point in your career? I do like the fact that I did get a little bit of recognition in the press and media. Maybe it wasn't the most accurate time-wise now. I am proud of that. I am proud to have headlined the Austin Drag Festival. Uh, It was in 2017. And then I got to be part of the hosting team for this previous one. And I was the only AFAB host. And I don't like, I try not to go back and say, AFAB, 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 when it comes to my drag. But that does mean something when I can stand up with the rest of them, you know, and I can hold my own. It does say something. Mm-hmm. So while I'm not trying to be like, AFAB, I'm also being like, damn, I did that. I can go on stage. I can host. There was all these types of, you know, snafus it happens it's it's live and i just made it work Mm -hmm. you know and i that made me really proud i was like oh i can actually handle myself on stage i can handle myself with headliners rupaul drag race stars i know that i'm at that level of professionalism where i can you could just throw anything at me and i'm like i got it and so that made me feel proud as an entertainer because i knew i leveled up at that point Mm mm-hmm You've had several opportunities to perform in places outside of New York at mm-hmm. this point. Do you have a favorite place outside of New York to perform? And I so love what? Chicago. Chicago, bring me back. No, seriously, Chicago is one of the, my most favorite cities to perform in ever. Everyone's so friendly. You get treated with respect. You get paid. And things are just cheaper there. I like it. You know, when you go out of New York, you're like, oh, I can afford things. I feel bougie. When you're just in a city where like the cost of living is just a little bit lower than your city. I love Austin, Texas. I've performed there so many times. I have done the drag festival a few times. And then I was brought in for Poo Poo Platter when they did like International Women's Day event. And they actually brought me and uh, Kemper Falfer there, Flopsious Horror of Karen Black. And we did that show. And I was honored. You know, I was really honored to do that. So I was I was feeling it. Finally, I yes. like to ask this question. What's a number or performance that you've seen that you wish you could have come up with yourself? Oh, so many. Honestly, Sasha Velour cellophane act. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ugh, I hated her when I saw that. <laughs> but like if I hate like if I hate you immediately when I see something, it's when I love it, you know? Yeah. Like she she for me, like that was like what? Like that was really amazing use of video and, mm-hmm. and lips. It was just everything. There's a, a boylesque performer by the name of Broody Valentino. And mm-hmm. every time he comes on stage, I just, I'm like, I hate you. Mm-hmm. I hate you so much because it's just perfection. I love it when I see a performer just give absolute perfection. And I'm just like, I hate you. Have you seen Broody's Sunset Boulevard number? Oh, yeah. I've seen all of it. It's, so it's disgusting. How yeah. dare he be so good? Ridiculous. I tell him to his face too, so it's not like <laughs> I'm saying anything behind his back. But I love performers that are that just give a sense of craftsmanship and, and yeah. ownership. That that's what I like. And if you know the two performers, you know, obviously people are gonna know Sasha Valor more than they're gonna know know a performer like Broody, but like it's it's that level of 
of just, oh, just pure good performance. I live for that. And I think those names are kind of two of the first, but they're not the only. Yeah. There's some, and honestly, like, we only have a limited amount of time, so I get it. With that, where can the people find you, follow you, see you, and or consume your media should they desire oh, to? Consume my media. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. <laughs> Uh, yes, I am very consistent on my social media. Facebook, Instagram, uh, at Crimson Kitty. Twitter, The Crimson Kitty, because I don't know why someone else has Crimson Kitty. It's rude. <laughs> I also have my website that I'm still working on, uh, www.crimsonkitty.com, where it has acts from six years ago that I no longer perform. <laughs> so that will be coming shortly. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. I host once a month at Femme Party at Club Coming. And I would love to see you all there. I'm usually towards the beginning of the month. I do shows at Stonewall every so now often. And then I'm also working on creating the New York chapter for Pastel Gore, which is run by Erica Clash. And she had that in San Francisco. Rock'em Sakura's also on it. It's going to be on Drag Race. Uh, so we are actually creating the New York City chapter. So we're looking for a home and getting that settled. So I'll be producing again, even though every time I produce, I tell myself, I'll never do this again. I hate working with drag performers. They never send me mu music on time. Rude. <laughs> or promote. Anyway. So I'm going to get into that again. So I I don't perform as often as I used to. I'm scaling back because I just want to play video games more. And so when I do come with numbers, they're just more poignant, poignant and just meaningful. So yeah, you can find me there. And I Instagram, Facebook is where I post the most. Um, Twitter is, I don't know. I still don't understand Twitter. I didn't understand it when it first came out. I don't understand it now. I don't even, I still to this day don't know how to use the Snapchat. <laughs> I have an account. I think it's Crimson Kitty, but I don't use it. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you yeah. so much for your time. You are welcome. Thank you for having me.